0: popped up this morning and is here singing with us today. And so I want you to just give him some love. I think that's incredible. And so thank you, man. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, The second thing is I want to say thank y'all for last week in like the the saying thank you and, and the pastor appreciation time. That was really encouraging to me. I am not good when it comes to basically any type of anyone saying thank you to me. It's just a cultural issue for my culture in general and men. Uh, Mexicans can't you can't tell a Mexican man like thank you they're gonna be like no don't tell me anything. <laughs> it's super weird we're weird about it and it's something I'm trying to overcome and be healthy in but I wasn't there last week I know that much so I was sitting there just like oh I don't know what to say right now uh, and so I wanted to re-express after some time to process it how much uh, I'm th- how thankful I am for it and how grateful I am for y'all and thank you for that me and my wife look forward to taking advantage of the gifts that y'all gave us and we deeply appreciate you So, give yourself a round of applause for that. Yeah, so many of y'all participated in organizing that. So, with that being said, let's get started in our time in the word. Uh, I wanna start going back to January 20th, 2020. And on January 20th, 2020, the CDC reported its first lab confirmed case in the United States of the illness that would colloquially be known as COVID. Um, By March, the World Health Organization had declared COVID a pandemic. And within just a few days of that, if you remember, so those of y'all that are going to be like, man, trip down memory lane, the Grand Princess cruise ship was quarantined on the coast of California with 3,500 people having tested positive for, for COVID. That same month, state started a statewide quarantine effort, um, and the words essential worker became a part of the public's vocabulary. And let's be real. You all remember that time, even beyond the scope of healthcare, which was a scarier and, and, and just more challenging situation altogether, simply being quarantined inside of our home for that long was quite honestly a challenge. And it brought about its own set of challenges, right? Loneliness and depression were at an all-time high. Many marriages and relationships were stretched thin and at a breaking point. Food insecurity skyrocketed. Let's not even start talking about the toilet paper. I ain't going to get started on that. I, y'all remember that. In the midst of that, though, beautiful moments captured our imagination. I can still remember the videos of Italian citizens on their balconies singing together in, in a rhapsody that just felt like, like angelic voices singing together. I remember the images of New Yorkers cheering on essential workers, particularly healthcare workers, uh, every night at 7 p.m. out of their windows, because New York don't got balconies like Europe got, so they were just out the window just yelling stuff. And it was incredible, right? But one of those images and, and beautiful moments that always captured and struck me was something much simpler than those two moments. It was something that was, that was much more humble, in fact, and so, much, so seemingly less profound. In December of 2020, in Brainerd, Minnesota, At a simple, yeah, you're a Minnesotan, I forgot about that. Uh, At a simple Dairy Queen, something powerful happened. In the midst of a global pandemic with both physical and mental health worries relentlessly hovering over everyone, a moment of generosity changed and brought light into darkness. One man, desiring to do something nice and something simple, told the cashier at this local Dairy Queen that he wanted to pay for his meal, and he wanted to pay for the meal of the person behind him the next person drove up and upon hearing about the generosity of the first man was moved and told the cashier you know what I'm gonna go ahead and pay for the person behind me the next person came up and they did the same and these simple acts of generosity created a chain reaction that lasted nine hundred customers more than ten thousand dollars in sales And lasted over two and a half days. Yeah, even when they would close and have the final customer on day one, that final customer looked and said, go ahead and prepay so that the person that starts the day tomorrow can come in to a free meal. When asked about the event, Tina Jensen, who was the owner and operator of the Dairy Queen, said this. She said, there's all different types of ways to help people. I think this touched a lot of people that we didn't even know it touched. Deeper than we know, and you don't know what's going on in a person's life. No matter what hard times anyone is going through, just take care of each other. You know, that's what it is. Take care of each other. A phrase came out of this story uh, that I, I quite liked and that I found particularly moving, and it was the phrase "grateful people give to others." That's why. That's what many believe happened in the early days of the church. Moved by the good news of Jesus. Moved it in the midst of our brokenness and in the midst of the difficulty all around with physical and mental worries hovering relentlessly over each and every person. A moment of generosity changed and brought light into darkness. But this generosity wasn't in a drive-through. This generosity was on a cross. It wasn't the cost of a meal. It was the cost of a life. And in response, they gave. They gave with joyful hearts, responding to the generosity that had been shown to them by the God that they knew and the God that they loved. Today, we're continuing our sermon series that's entitled Ecclesia, and it's where we're observing the, this word entitled church. We're taking a look and using it to take a look at the church in Acts chapter 2. And we're really trying to say, God, uh, what can you take from our lives and apl- take from this group and apply to our lives? and show us and guide us and and really help us express who you are. And so with that in mind, today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at how this group of people was shaped by a singular idea, this idea in addition to many, but this idea of generosity. This idea of generosity, right away, I I know everybody's like, this is is my least favorite of the group. I know. While I was preparing, I'll be very honest, I've said earlier in our pre-service meeting that I felt very awkward uh, trying to prepare this. Because I hate talking about generosity, if I'm being honest. I think I like being generous, but I don't know. But I know I hate talking about it to you, because it makes me feel like I'm looking at you, and being like, "Hey, you need to be generous." And so, while I know that it can be awkward, what I want to do is encourage you to wait and to stop and to not process like that, but instead to be open to what the Lord may have to hear, what may ha- what He may have to say to us today, and from there allow what He's saying to shape and mold us. Uh, and to bring about what we hope is just a beautiful blessing to us and to others today as we think about this idea. And so with that in mind, if you would stand in honor of these scriptures and these words that a lot of us hold dear in here, and we're going to read this text that we're focused on, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. If you want to read it with me, you absolutely can. Uh, if you don't, you're completely all right, too. Uh, and then from there, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you're going to say, all right, like 80 of y'all know it but you're going to say, thanks be to God if you want to, and then we're all going to take a seat, all right? So Acts 2, starting in verse 42, says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Y'all can have a seat. Generosity is an incredible thing, right? It's incredible. what the heck is generosity? When we say that, what does that even mean? Well, a simple dictionary lookup will provide you an equally simple answer. According to Merriam-Webster, generosity is simply a generous act. All right, here we go. Very straightforward. But what is a generous act? If you look up the word generosity, it's giving liberally. It's, It's giving, an act of giving to someone else, particularly someone that is in Need And while generosity is often beautiful across the board, we see generosity and we're moved by it oftentimes. It seems to have a unique beauty when we see it in the context of the early church. Moved by the message that they had been saved, know that the world had been saved through this man who was either a humble carpenter gone absolutely mad or a glorious redeemer who had had saved us by his resurrection and his life to bring new life to us, the early church, wholeheartedly believed the latter. They hook, line, and sinker. Uh, That, right? Hook, line, and sinker, that's right. Right? They hook, line, and sinker into the belief that he was the latter, that he was not a crazy carpenter, but rather he was a glorious messiah. They believed that in the midst of their oppression and their pain, and they believed as a result that in the midst of their pain and in the midst of their oppression, that God had heard them. That God had heard them. They believed that God had heard them, and his response this time wasn't in simple words, but in the word made flesh. His response wasn't in telling us to make the world better through generosity, but by being extremely and overwhelmingly generous toward us. It wasn't through telling us to be compassionate for a change instead of angry, but by displaying immense compassion to us. It wasn't overthrowing a government, but instead the Messiah that would overturn tables of sin and darkness in, in, in across the world. Both in the hearts of those that oppress and do injustice to us, but likewise. right The tables of sin and, and injustice that lie in our own hearts. They believed that this new world that was coming, this new world that Jesus had already brought, right, had come through the very presence of this Jesus. That he had heard them. That he had heard us. That he responded with his very own presence in the world, in this simple carpenter. No, this glorious Messiah. And he hadn't responded to our selfishness, our anger, our pain, our bitterness, our injustice. With simple correction, he had it like like a lazy father, which some of y'all can relate to, and, and I definitely can at times, by simply saying, hey, don't do that. Do something else. No. He responded in the mercy, generosity, compassion, and kindness of Jesus. And what it sparked from that moment was wild generosity in that group. It sparked observing the needs of those around them and providing for them, providing for whatever needs they saw. And sometimes that meant in relational support, and so they were present with each other. It says that they met each other every single day. And here's the thing, right? We've talked about this before uh, in in sermons. That's not saying that they met each other, and, and sometimes somebody was going through hard times, but most of the time everybody was pretty middle class and everybody was quite chill. No, this was a world in which the world was or felt lower socioeconomically. It felt in pain. It felt struggle. It felt it normally. That was the normal. That that was how things were kind of assumed to be. And yet they're with each other every single day. I'm assuming that a large part of their day was comforting each other. In a world where you could lose children, lose family members at what felt like the drop of a hat, I'm assuming they loved each other well and cared for each other relationally. And so maybe it was relational support or spending time together, but, but it also simply invites us into the idea that, that they sold their possessions when people had actual need. And so they, they, they sold them and, and provided financially for one another. Whatever and however it came, the early church was marked by this sort of generosity, this sort of generosity that, that took, um, it seems simple, as simple as paying for a meal for the person behind you, but, but the root of it was in taking care of each other just like the Dairy Queen lady said, right? Taking care of each other. That's what it's about. And, and while that type of generosity would have been considered kind of weird or taboo in, in their world, right, just for, for context here, Romans didn't give gifts the way we give gifts. The Roman culture gave gifts regularly, but they were gifts meant to be paid back. They weren't altruistic. They weren't for the sake of others. They were selfish gifts. If I gave you a gift, it was oftentimes because I wanted you to repay that gift at some point. I wanted to indebt you to myself, and so I would give a gift. And so while the world around them would have looked at the Christians, this new group of people that claimed to follow a resurrected carpenter from the backwoods, they would have said, that's super strange. That's super weird. But this type of generosity was the expectation in the teachings of Jesus. Across the gospels, we see Jesus speak of generosity in powerful ways, right? I I think I have time for this, but I'm not sure. So uh, I'm gonna read it. And then if I'm a few minutes late on the back end, I'm sorry. Uh, Matthew 538, Jesus says this. If you have heard, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That sounds very Roman, now, this is from some of their own scriptures, but it's also very Roman, the way they lived in the time. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for one who wants to sue you and to take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus is spitting hard fire here that I think a lot of us who listen to him be like, nah, you're tripping. This is challenging. But that's not where he stops. He continues on. In in Luke 21, uh, he says, Truly I tell you, this, oh, oh, this is incredible too, because this is in response to seeing Pharisees and saying the Pharisees, they devour widows. They do everything for show. What they give, they give for show, and they devour whole households in their demands. And then when he sees at the temple a widow come and deposit two cents, he says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. And for Jesus, this was like saying, this is what we hope we actually are. Contrasting it to, contrasting it to uh, Pharisees that were clearly greedy and devourers. But, The words of Acts 2 bear an eerily familiar structure to a set of ideas that we find in Luke 12. In Luke 12, Jesus says this, but seek his kingdom and these things will be provided to you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. See what's happening here. In Acts 2, and they sold their possessions. In Luke 12, sell your possessions. Right? In Luke 12, give to the poor. Acts 2, and they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. What's happening here? Does the Bible just use repeating stories because they're lazy writers? I don't know, like some pastors, particularly a pastor that may be wearing a blue shirt over a white T-shirt sometimes. Yeah, sure, that's possible. But I think if we look, if we look a little closer, it's actually something a bit different. What Jesus commanded in his new world to his new people— Right, Luke, the author of both Acts and Luke, he sees the church now doing it. Right? Can you see what's what's happening here? The church is now bringing about the new world that Jesus' death and resurrection bought. The darkness, selfishness that was present before is now being replaced by the generosity and kindness of God's response and of the new King, and that's happening through you and through me. That's how it's happening. The old regime of selfishness and sinfulness is now being replaced by the new regime of kindness and compassion, not through us simply saying it, but by God's people doing what Jesus did and living what Jesus taught and doing what Jesus commanded. Friend, I I want you to hear what I'm telling you because what I'm telling you I think is critically important for your life and for all of the questions about purpose and meaning and direction that you ache with and that I ache with sometimes, you, friend, are how Jesus' new world of generosity and kindness is experienced. You are. You are how Jesus' new world of generosity and kindness is experienced. That's how it happens. People read the Bible and they are inspired, but people find and know and understand what it means to be loved by God when they are loved by you. People learn what it means to be cared for by God when they're cared for by you. People know what it feels like to receive such generosity from God when they receive such generosity from you, from me. So often in church culture, especially culture that's responding to the sins and failures of the churches that have come before us, which there are plenty, both churches and failures, to be fair. So often we say that that church uh, is imperfect people pointing to the perfect Savior, and I think that's true. That's true. Let's be honest, right? Even my my saying that you are, are how Jesus' kingdom and world of compassion and generosity is experienced makes you feel two things. Makes you feel some pressure, and it makes you feel some shame. Because if we're being honest, we have not done that well. We know what it's like to clam up when we have the, the opportunity for generosity in front of us and clam up and go, no, I don't think so. Whether it be with our time or our talent or our money or whatever the case is, we know that feeling. But here's the thing, when we say that church is a place where imperfect people point to the perfect God, we don't just do it verbally, I deeply believe we do it practically. It's the practical tension of how someone who is so selfish at times can also be so generous at times. And it's the practical tension of how someone that struggles with their temper can also at times be so incredibly kind. And it's the tension of people who are perfect, who aren't perfect, also giving their all to display generosity and kindness and the love of Jesus and leaving the world around them confused. Confused at how someone that can at times be so perfect also be so incredibly beautiful. And in that confusion, the church responding by saying, I may still be imperfect, but the parts of me uh, that are beautiful are the ones that have been shaped by the kindness of Jesus showed to me. That's how we point people to the perfect one. When we fight to have the tension of, man, I want to improve. I want to grow. Like I want to I honor God. I want to be generous. I want to be compassionate. I want to be patient. And here's the thing. Sometimes we feel like because we haven't taken enough steps in that direction, it means that he's not moving or we are a failed witness or we are a disgrace to the message of the gospel when that in and of itself is the message of the gospel. That God would find people like me who struggle with anger, who can be lazy, who can be idolatrous, who can place all my value and all my dignity in a stupid soccer team or in what I failed to do, on my list of things to do today, and say, I'm going to move you up the field just this much. That much. And when I moved up the field, somebody's going to go, did you see that? And when they say, did you see that, you're going to say, it was my coach. wasn't me. It was Paul saying, I worked harder than all others, but it was not me, but the grace of God had work inside of me. Like that's the testimony of the gospel. It's not just saying, yeah, I'm imperfect. It's saying I'm imperfect, but I would give what I can in order to be more like him today. And where I fail, I repent. And where I succeed, I offer you him. That's the tension we live out you and me are called to live that out. That's precisely why we, you, me, are the ones who take the kindness and and generosity of Jesus, and we allow it to be experienced in the world. Every moment of your life, no, you know that. I know that already. I don't need to say that today, right? But the experience that the world around us experiences when we are on, when you do succeed, when you have followed through. And here's the thing, you I just said earlier today that we are greeted, our bitterness, our anger, our frustration, our mistakes, our failures aren't greeted by a God who simply says, what are you doing? But by God who greets those failures with compassion and mercy and generosity and kindness. And so every one of your failures is not met by the shame that the lies in your voice in, in your head try to tell you, but rather they're greeted with the very kindness, generosity, compassion, mercy, patience, gentleness, joyfulness that we are now called to live out and to offer to the world around us. The key difference for those that actually live it out is whether they take those failures to the the gracious and kind feet of the king who desires to love us, or if we take them and run and hide like the, the forefathers that have failed us in the past. That's the key difference in this. Because when we do, when we take those failures, when we haven't been generous, when we haven't been insert your thing, when we haven't and we take those very failures to the Lord, right? You take your mess ups to him. He's going to greet you with kindness, compassion. He's going to shape you. Your lack of generosity is not going to be shaped by you doing better. Your lack of generosity is going to be shaped by his generosity. That's the key. My lack of patience when I get frustrated at my children, which is often, all right, is not going to be shaped by me simply saying, I got to be kinder. It's shaped by experiencing his overwhelming patience in my life. That's Jesus' vision. That's Jesus' vision. That he would come, that he has heard us, that he responds to the wails and the aches and the inconsistencies and the imperfections and the failures of his people with the overwhelming love of the infinitely loving God, and then he sends us out with that love to be loving to others. That's the goal. That's the vision. And he does this with generosity as well. The overwhelmingly generous God is generous to us. He gives us everything that we have. The Bible says that the cattle on a thousand hills are his. Translated, everything is his, right? That's just the old agrarian way of being like, you know, everything is his, right? And the Bible author is trying to say, everything you have belongs to him. You couldn't eat without him but he gladly gives it to you. Even for those that would look at him and go, you didn't provide this, you don't even exist. He would still abounding in mercy provide. And Jesus' vision is that his people would bring his kindness and generosity, the kindness and generosity he shows to them that that we would bring it to the world. Why though? What is so special about generosity? There's a bunch of different things, but I want to highlight just a few. Let's think through these together. First, I want to tell you that I think generosity brings wholeness. Generosity has the power to bring wholeness. So often we have seen generosity as simply giving, giving time, giving our skills, giving our money, giving our thoughts, giving our prayers. And it is, it is those things. Generosity is not less than those things. But more than an act of giving itself, generosity lets someone know I see you. Generosity lets someone know, I hear you. Same way God heard me, the same way God heard you, in the midst of all those moments that we've gone through, in the crying spells, in the sad spells, in the depressed spells, in the troubled spells, where God's response in Jesus is, I have heard you, and I have seen you, and I am with you. Generosity kneels down and says, I see you. I love you. I hear you. I respond to you. I'm here with you. Generosity seeks to make something whole by even simply being present in it. Whether by our time with someone or our talents to assist them or our money and our resources to help them, right? It's saying I'm trying to make something whole. I'm doing my best at what I can, what I can do. So generosity seeks to make something whole. Remember the Dairy Queen lady. It touched more people than we knew, deeper than we knew. Um, this actually makes me think about a young man that I spoke to several months ago. Uh, Let's call him, well, I used the name Brad last week. Let's call him Alan for the sake of his uh, privacy. So I I got a call from Alan. And here's the thing, Alan don't go to this church. That's what's great about this story. Uh, Alan don't go to this church. But he texts me one day and said, hey man, can we meet up? And I knew Alan from several different things. He goes to a church that we're close to. Uh, I've known him from some school stuff. I've known him uh, from some mutual friends, and we've not really spent that much time together. But I do know one thing. Alan does not feel called to pastoral ministry, but Alan feels called to helping organize ministries in general. Now, you may not know this, but we have a vision to start a lot of different ministries. But not like men's ministry and women's ministry, though. Them things are present but rather things like our family advocacy ministry where we're trying to help families who are not at a crisis moment, but rather like maybe heading that direction and intervening with things like like mental health support and financial literacy support and just faith support and and everything like this in order to change the trajectory of their family. That's like one thing we're doing Um, amongst more things that we're planning. And so I'm looking at this guy and I have this internal feeling of like, you know what? We're going to talk. I know this guy's future is kind of in limbo. And I got to be honest with y'all. I automatically start planning how I'm going to sell him our church. I automatically start planning about how I'm going to sell it to him. And here's the thing. Some of y'all know this about me. I can sell something. I can sell something. I'm not saying I can sell ice to an Eskimo, but I can sell a fridge to that man. I know that much. Like, I'm, I'm saying, like, I know how to sell some stuff. We raised a lot of money for this church plant, mainly on me being like, let me tell you about this church plant. Right? Like, it, it, it was God moving, but, but I know, also know that I have some abilities in it. So I start thinking to myself, here's how I'm going to frame this. Here's how I'm going to frame that. Here's how I'm going to say, here's how I'm going to tell him the story of why we need him and how exactly he's going to figure it out. And I'm on the way over there, and I'm incredibly excited because I'm like, this is a pretty good little presentation. I'm not going to lie. This is gonna, I think we're going to get a new employee out of this one right here. I really do feel that. And in the midst of it, I... I'm driving, I'm in the car, and I look right, and I see a huge oak tree. And a lot of y'all know that I love trees. I love them. I see a huge, huge live oak. And instantaneously, one of my favorite quotes comes to mind. I've said it on this pulpit multiple times. That society is at its best when people plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. And I asked the Lord a simple prayer. I said, Lord, help me make shade, even if it means that I won't sit in that shade. It was all of a 10-second experience, and then I proceeded to start navigating through how I was going to sell this church to this man. And when I got there, we sat down, we talked about family, we talked about friends, we talked about life, and I proceeded to start the section while I was trying to sell him our church, and I proceeded to absolutely fumble every single step of it. I do not think I felt as stupid uh, pitching something as I did in that very moment because I completely failed at every, it felt, I was literally thinking to myself like, God, this is not me. The last time I felt this is when I proposed to my wife. And it went, those of you that know that story, God bless me, I'm still praying for myself about that one. That was, that left me with a lot of scars, to be honest. She didn't say no, I just looked stupid. So, um, and I was asking him why, what's happening here? And then I simply asked a very simple question that I've encouraged a lot of you to ask in your day-to-day life. Spirit of God, what do you wanna say to this man? And I felt overwhelmingly a few simple words come to mind. Make shade. And so I looked at him and I said, I got to be honest with you, bro. I have, I planned this whole time to pitch my church to you. And I think you can tell that I have been doing that, or at least failing at doing that for the last several minutes. But I had to stop and ask the Lord, what do you want from me? And I think he's telling me that I need to make shade even if it does not benefit me. And so you said you need a man in your life who is gonna love you and push you and give you some identity. And I want you to know, you do not have to come to my church. You never have to think of the word refuge. You don't even have to associate me with the church. And I will actively commit to serving you in any way you need. I will meet with you every week. I will meet with you every month. I will take your call every day if you need it because I feel overwhelmingly moved by the Lord, that I need to give you my time and my commitment. And so here I am saying, I am yours. My family is yours. Use it at your disposal, unlike, I mean, just like you would a brother. And this man started crying right away. And he said, the other day I, I talked to someone and I said, I really need this figure to bring life into me. And he said, and to that person I said, I need someone like Josh. Um, totally unbeknownst to me. And so I, we've gotten together, and we've talked about his life. And But in the midst of what he felt like was a lacking season in his life, my generosity with my time, with my attention, made a world of difference to this man. It made a world of difference. Friends, generosity, it can bring wholeness in ways you don't expect it. I'm sure I said that, and y'all are like, how can I... Give enough money to make a community new. Maybe you should just spend time with that community. Maybe you should just serve it or love it or make a friend or whatever the case is. The second thing is this, that generosity also builds bridges. I think generosity, was, this is very similar to the idea of bringing wholeness, but I think it, it's a little bit different. Right? Generosity is powerful because it can build a bridge where there used to be a chasm. Across the Gospels, we see Jesus' own generosity doing this all the time right? He feeds people, he helps people, he heals people. And from there, he has a spiritual conversation to them, with them, I mean. He has a spiritual conversation, not first, but he oftentimes has it on the back end of doing something, of being generous in some way, right? This is the vision of, of, like I said, our family advocacy ministry. We know families experience difficulty, and so rather than just going to them and knocking on their door and be like, going through a hard time? Do you know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? We're trying to say, hey, you don't got to come to our church. You, you don't need to be a Christian even. We have a program that we're trying to help bring wholeness and help bring some healing. And from there, if there's a bridge that's made in order for us to have a spiritual conversation, we want to have that. But you know what? Our generosity is not aimed at making them Christian. It's aimed at just caring for them and building a bridge. That's all. And here's the thing. I, I know this exact feeling, and this is going to be a little theoretical, but I, I want you to just track with me a little bit. Y'all all know that I love the Bible. I love the Bible deeply. I'm low key kind of like obsessed with the Bible. I'm a little nerdy about it. I watch uh, just general Bible nerd videos almost every day where it's just like, I remember I walked into a pastor's meeting one day and they were like, how's everybody's day been? And I was like, yeah, I was watching a video about how the Babylonian language had influence on like the second temple period writings of the Bible with this word and that word. And they were like, even at a table of pastors, bro, you sound like a nerd. You are just, you are incredibly nerdy. And so I love it. But I've never felt like I had the time or money available uh, to pursue uh, learning about the Bible in an academic setting any further. And so I've invested money and invested time in things like books and just reading but I've never felt like I had the space to do that in an academic way until one day I received a call from my brother and friend, Tori Mayo. And he uh, is a pastor at a church called the well. That's like our sending church, like our mother church. Great. Yes. Um, So we, I mean, we love them. The thing about it is that he comes and he says, Hey man, we have some money. Uh, to help someone go to DTS. They have a lot of DTS graduates at the church. And he was like, would you be interested in that? And I kind of was like, yeah, I I would like that. DTS is Dallas Theological Seminary. It's a seminary in Dallas, as you might expect from the name. And I said, yeah, uh, I would love that. Um, And without much effort of my own, I got to say, he just called me back one day and said, hey, I talked to the elders about it. And they overwhelmingly were like, let's do this. We love Josh. We want this for him. And they just were like, here's your, they overwhelmingly agreed to give you not just a portion of the money, to give you all the money. And I was overwhelmed. And between that and a couple of other scholarship opportunities, I was, I was able to start taking classes. And I'll be honest, in that moment, from that moment of generosity, it changed the entirety of how I saw that thing. It built a bridge where in my mind there was a chasm of I can't to maybe I can to let's do this to you know what we're doing. Generosity can take something so simple and change someone, not just their circumstances, but it can change their mind. It can change their heart. It can change the way they see their life and the way they see the next steps of their life by you simply being generous. That's what generosity, it builds a bridge friend. It builds a bridge from from where you are, and it seems like everything over there is so far. There's a chasm, and yet generosity builds a bridge, and it lets you walk right over it. Generosity builds a bridge. And the last thing is that generosity speaks truth to selfishness, friend. Generosity speaks truth to selfishness. For some of us, the idea of generosity is challenging. However, for some of us, it's not because, you know, we don't have a lot of money it's not about the absence of money. Really, it's about the presence of materialism for some of us. About the presence of <sighs> some measure of idolatry. That's a real Christian word, but, but I want to stick with materialism. We see money given away as things lost, not people helped. Right? We see time spent as time away from something that's fun or something that is encouraging to me. We we see using our gifts as a waste of time that could have been used to earn money or, or something else. And generosity checks this parts of our heart. These parts of our hearts, friend. Uh, it, it demands that we humble ourselves and chips away at the idolatry. And I, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and move to the word idolatry. Idolatry that can come from our own selfishness. And I gotta be honest, this applies to me overwhelmingly. I I'm gonna make a confession to y'all. Most of y'all, or at least the ones that have been in my small group before know this. I love stuff. I love stuff. I love big stuff. I love small stuff. I love big purchases. I love going to the flea market in San Antonio and being like, this is cute. And then still somehow that little cute thing is still a big purchase because that flea market be robbing you, but that's a different subject. But little stuff, little purchases. Right. I love stuff. I like buying it. They, they, I'm not going to lie. There was a time where Jerry Morris, uh, he would testify to it. Uh, if he was here, ask him about it. Next time you see him, he had a birthday party at my house and said, hey, man, can we use your house to just watch the Lord of the Rings all day? And I was like, "Bruh, this is the best request that's ever been made of me in the history of life. Yes. Overwhelmingly. Yes. Come to my house and watch the Lord of the Rings all day. I will gladly be present and you can gladly use my home. Now, it'd be one thing if I was like, I really want to serve everybody, and so I'm going to buy a sound bar to make sure that every—that's not how I felt. It would be one thing to feel very generous like that. That's not what it was. It was like, this is a great excuse to buy a sound bar. That's what it was. And it had nothing to do with them. It had nothing to do with that day. In fact, when I was buying the sound bar, I was thinking about what movies I was going to watch by myself with it, not what they were going to watch all together. I love stuff. And when I, oh man, I I wrote something down so funny. Oh, I was supposed to bring it too. I love stuff so much that during the pandemic, I bought a wild amount of little spoons for tea. I don't drink tea, but I just love little spoons for tea. I bought a bunch of them. You ever need little spoons for tea? Holler at your boy because I got them. All right, I love stuff. And when I give, I'm going to be honest with you, there are times that I literally think of what I'm not going to be able to buy because I gave this thing. The things that I'm going to miss out on because I gave this money, not good stuff, stupid stuff. And I give, and knowing what's coming out of my account, my heart gets burdened because of what I'm not going to get in place of this money that I'm giving to this or that. But the act itself of giving is a declaration to my heart and to my head that this is better, that this is more powerful that the meaning of life is not wrapped up in these little things that I find and that I try to derive more joy than they could ever give me, but is rather in the things that I'm putting my money to that glorify the Lord and that help and truly assist other people. The simple act of giving in those moments is a declaration to those deep, dark, selfish parts of my heart that he is better. Generosity speaks truth to selfishness, friend. It speaks truth to it. It demands something of us that oftentimes our selfishness is not willing to give. Now, I know this is hard for some of us still, and we feel guilty and we feel frustrated by our own lack of generosity or what we feel is our inability to be generous. And I want to finish and end today with just a couple of thoughts toward that idea. The first one is that God is not, and, and I don't believe it, Ever, but maybe I'm wrong about that, but I believe broadly speaking, God is not asking you to give what you don't have. God is not asking you to give the money you need for your bills. Galatians talks about individuals that are not providing for their family in pretty drastic terms, to be honest. And so we, we don't see God asking for us for money that we don't have, or time that you need for work, or talent that you don't possess, let me be more narrow about this. I, as a pastor and this church, am, are not asking you to give what you don't have. We're not asking you for time that you need for work and to provide for your family. We're absolutely not asking you to use talents you don't have. Um, <laughs> God loves you where you are. And his hope for your generosity is rooted in that love. It's not transactional. It's not one that says, I'll be generous as long as you're generous. And then if you're not generous, I will cease being generous. But his hope for your generosity is rooted in his generosity toward you. Right? It's it's a love and a generosity that starts and stops with him desiring to be generous to you. And that's it. If you're not able... Or maybe if you don't even choose to be generous, I believe God still deeply longs to meet you and greet you with generosity. because That's his character. That's exactly why we're shaped and molded by it. Because even when we choose not to, even when we're unable, even when we feel that we've been selfish and self-centered, we turn to a God who is wholly selfless and loving and compassionate, and he greets us with the very generosity we struggle to muster up ourselves. However, if you desire to be generous, I want all of us to ask a simple question, right? This is our only application question. So where can I express God's generosity in my life today? where can I express God's generosity in my life today? I want you to honestly ask yourself that question. Not a Sunday question, but a Monday question and a Tuesday question and a Wednesday question and a Thursday evening question and a Friday afternoon question and especially a Saturday night question because I know how you people be getting No, no I'm just playing. But, <laughs> but ask yourself this idea regularly, right? Ask it regularly. Ask it when you see that person on the side of the road. And maybe you, like Peter and John, say, I don't have money. Then ask yourself, what can I do? What can I do to express and show God's generosity in my life today? What can I do? Maybe you're met with a bunch of, you can't do this. Okay, respond with the question, what can I do? What can you do, friend? Because again, those simple things, those simple things, they may impact more people than you know, deeper than you know. It's like a man saying, you know what, Throw throw on the meal behind me. You don't know where your simple act can go in expressing the generosity of God and his heart for someone else. Where can I express God's generosity in my life today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you that though you had everything, you made yourself poor so that we who were poor could be rich in you. Thank you that in the midst of my bitterness, failure, and doubt, you meet me with compassion and victory and assurance. Thank you, God. Thank you that that is not just true of me, but it's true of every person in here. That you call us to generosity, not by demanding and by forcing, but by meeting us with generosity. Thank you. Humble our hearts to see the generous God who has everything yet would come to those who for all intents and purposes have nothing. And meet us with such love and compassion and care. Thank you for your generosity. Help us to respond to it with humble hearts and with generous hearts. Help us to be the agents, the means by which your generosity and your kindness are shown in the world. Father, I'm gonna pray just bless our workplaces, our schools bless our families, bless our neighborhoods through a simple question of what can I do today. I pray that you would rapture, I mean, just captivate whole communities of people on campuses and at workplaces and on whole blocks and whole communities in this community. Father, we pray that, I pray that, even if no one in here would agree with you or even believe it, I pray it in faith, Father. Why? Because you are generous. And where we fail, you will continue to meet us in that generosity. Shape our lives and send us with that reality. Send us through that care. I love you. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.